0: Because I got up there and I was like, well, I'm definitely falling off this motherfucker. I mean, I'm gone. I'm, I'm definitely falling <laughs> off
1: this thing. I'm going to die. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead. And joining me as always, the bad boy of the Lee Summit Community Theater, my brother, Mike.
0: That's right. They got real, uh, those squares got real ticked off with my edgy drug addled portrayal of one peter pan so you know what if you can't handle how gritty and real i am then you know don't cast me myrtle all right yeah that's how it goes
1: i think it was the 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 uh n- unclothed scene you just added you shoehorned in there it was very tasteful yeah really, uh, you know peter pan well, yeah well peter pan you know not an adult so the first <laughs> word is tasteful It is tasteful. It is tasteful. Okay. Uh, Yes, Mike is a a bastion of the community theater. It puts on some wonderful productions. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll wonder why you spent $4 on that ticket. Um, But, you know, it's great. Uh, On this week's episode, we'll break down a dung pile of a week. That's how I'm describing it. Finding new ways to describe bad weeks for the Royals takes time and energy and thought. (laughs) So I'm going with a dung pile of a week from the boys in blue. We'll answer some listener questions during our spotlight segment and we'll preview the week ahead, which I'm sure will be better. Okay. I'm, I'm sure of that. Uh, But first Royals weekly is brought to you by all in physical therapy for one-on-one personalized physical therapy. We choose all in physical therapy. They took excellent care of our mother after surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm. She loves to work out, be active. You
0: know, as a child, she earned pocket money by bending rebar with her bare hands.
1: Mm-hmm. That's what she did back in the f- 20s or whenever she was a kid to uh, to, to make money. Uh, the excellent specialized care she got at all in physical therapy had her back to being active in no time. I'm
0: pretty sure I saw her flip a Subaru by herself after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl.
1: She was a solo riot. Just... Mm-hmm. Super Bowl riot, all on her own. Flipping him, it was great. Um, all in Physical Therapy knows how to help athletes recover. Athletes like Bomb. It's owned and operated by Lee Summit's own Tommy Freevert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit, so give them a call to go see what they're into. I've lost my spot in the ad. Tell your <laughs> Go over. Yes. uh, Get over there to work with Tommy. Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at all in physical therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427-5300. Or visit their website at allin-pt.com. That's allin-pt.com. We'll start our review of last week with roster news. There was some significant roster news last week. In fact, some news that some of us have been waiting for for quite a while now. Uh, the Royals went ahead and made it official and designated Hunter Dozier for assignment. If you don't know what that means, that just means that basically they cut him. Uh, if you, if you want to go by the simple parlance. Um, he has since cleared waivers and is now a free agent. Anybody can sign him for anything. Uh, it's up to them. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on the end of the Hunter Dozier era or what is presumably the end of the Hunter Dozier era here in Kansas City?
0: I think it's good for both sides in a sense. You never want to see somebody lose their job, but the Royals, these are guaranteed contracts. So Hunter Dozier is going to get all that money if he wants it. And he needs a new start. If he wants to continue on in baseball, he needs to be hearing stuff from other people besides the Royals organization. Because what he's been producing in the last couple of years is not major league ability. And so maybe he can turn it around and I hope he gets that opportunity, but the Royals had to move on. You and I, we've been saying they should have moved on years ago. A lot of people have. And so it's nice to see that, you know, guys like Michael Garcia are going to get more chances. Perhaps a Samad Taylor is going to be able to become, come up at some point because of this, but you have Nikki Lopez, you have Garcia, you have Bobby Witt Jr. You have Matt Duffy. Who's at, who's hit much better than him. Where were the at bats going to come for Hunter Dozier? There was no point in continuing to even have him as a bench player because you want your bench players to be flexible defensively. And he was a negative defensively. So uh, good for both sides. I hope he uh, lands on his feet or if he wants to just live out his days with his family, nothing wrong with that. Hunter Dozier, you earned that money in one way or another. Get it, spend it, live, spend time with your family. Have a great life
1: yeah, at least he got his money. that's that's a good thing for him. I mean, uh it is nice. I think that the Royals were willing to move on so quickly from him. I think in years past, they would have just held on to him until the trade deadline ended essentially, and nobody wanted him. And so you know it, it'd be one of those things where they just gave him another 150 plate appearances, just letting him sort of languish there. Uh, we have seen some guys like Ryan O'Hearn and others go on to have at least find a niche in Major League Baseball. So perhaps Hunter Dozier will be able to do that. I don't know, but I was pretty confident it wasn't going to work out here with the Royals. The hard part for Hunter Dozier is it's such a, a tiny eye of a needle he has to thread to be a successful major leaguer. He has to hit so well because he is not at all uh, useful defensively. And so he has to hit really, really well. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if he'll be able to do that. If Maybe it'll be in a in a real uh, platoon role of some sort where he's only hitting against lefties or something like that. But uh, up to this point, we really haven't seen it from him. Hopefully he has a, better, a shot to do better somewhere else. The Royals got some real positive news uh, on the roster front. Drew Waters returned from the injured list this week. We haven't seen him since the very earliest days of spring training when he hurt himself. Yeah, I believe that was an oblique injury. He is has gone through rehab starts. He has been down on AAA. Now he is back in the major leagues and made a couple of starts for the Royals this week. Mike, what are your thoughts on getting Drew Waters back in this lineup and helping the Royals win some ball games?
0: Yeah, it was an oblique thing. And then while he was in his rehab start, there was a little bit of a back thing too. So good to see him back and healthy. Um, I'm excited to see him because I feel like he's got more offensive potential than Kyle Isbell does. I don't know that he'll ever be the defender that Isbell is, but um, he is a good, he could, he can be a good defender in center. Uh, plus he's a switch hitter, which I like a lot. He's got pop. The The real question will be, can he keep a consistent approach going moving forward with the, with the Braves? You know, he had a lot more minor league time with the Braves than he did with Kansas city. And so in the Braves organization, they thought not enough of him to let's put it this way. They took a sandwich round pick a compensatory pick instead of drew waters. They traded that for him. So they, you know, thought that perhaps that approach was never going to come around. If you can keep a consistent approach and keep those strikeout numbers down, you have a really good offensive piece to put in there. So I'm excited to see uh, what he brings to the table in a more extended look than what we got last year.
1: Yeah, I am worried about that you know him swinging too much. I'm worried that he he's a, a more of a free swinger than we really need, which is the story for so many of the hitters in this lineup right now like uh but you know, he's a guy who does have that upside. A lot of potential, a lot of athleticism, a lot of power speed combo and if he can find a way to walk at a significant clip and not strike out too much. I mean, he can be up in the 25% range. As a strikeout rate, he can't be up in the 30 to 35% range. That's going to be too much of striking out for a guy like Drew Waters because he's not he's got some pop, but he's not going to hit 30 home runs in a season. And so, you know, he needs to be a little bit more disciplined to the plate. Let's hope he can do that. He's had some decent games since he's been back. I know he had a two-hit game in there somewhere. Um, and so hopefully he can keep that consistent approach, find ways to get on base, and be another guy in this lineup who just lengthens it a little bit, gets them a little more depth, one through nine. Uh in, in their lineup. Another guy who returned from the I.L. this week, another guy who's been highly anticipated since spring training, Daniel Lynch returned from the injured list. He has not made a start at all uh, in Major League Baseball during the regular season. He started quite a bit in spring training, but was hurt in one of his final spring training outings and had to go on the IL with a. Mike, do you remember what what Lynch was down with? I can't even remember at this point. Oh, his shoulder. It was a shoulder, some sort of some sort of shoulder issue. Um, yeah, people were getting excited because his last AAA rehab start, he looked really, really good. Came out today and pitched really well, or pretty well. He was solid today, Mike. What are your thoughts on getting Lynch back into this rotation? Well,
0: if we'd have gotten any starting pitcher back in the rotation, I would have been excited because we've been, we've got three, we have been we got 3 we have 3 pitchers in our starting rotation. And so getting Lynch back was great. I still think there's probably some stuff he could have worked on in AAA, but watching him today, it's very obvious that some of the coaching things have gotten in there because he mixed it up a lot more with his pitches. He did, he threw a, he was more aggressive in the zone now as you saw with the very first pitch of the game, which went right down the middle and some guy crushed for a double. um, So at times that he will leave it right. He will leave pitches right in the heart of the zone. Um, And then that can be a little bit scary, especially when he starts facing better lineups, which we'll see kind of down the road. But, you know, if you had the choice between walking guys and, and being aggressive in the zone, I'll take being aggressive in the zone all the time because with his slider playing a little bit better and the change was very good today, I, you know, we try and work around that fastball because I think there's still a lot of work to do on that pitch, but I think you can maybe see a little bit of progress. If anything, it's in the plan that he has when he gets up there and the aggressiveness. Um, I don't know if his stuff has gone up all that much, except for maybe a little bit with the slider, but uh, you know, it was good to see him back out there. And I I have to think you chalk this up as a plus for him for his first uh, start back.
1: Yeah. If anything, it's that he's throwing that slider harder and you can see that they're going with a plan for him. That's like, what we're going to do to increase your stuff is not increase its movement. We're going to increase its velocity. And so early in the game, he's throwing 94, 95 at the top of the zone with his fastball. He's throwing 88 to 90 with his slider. As the game went on, those pitches started to slow down. It was, yeah, you started to see it. mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's because he needs more time to stretch out if, you know, or what, but it could just be that, hey, they're they're like, give us five. I think he's going to be a guy where they're like, give us five and we'll get you out of there. But give us five solid innings, you know. And so he went out today. The slider yeah. changeup. Combo was really tough for guys to hit because his slider looked good. His changeup looked really good. And he was throwing the fastball up in the zone. You could see that more often than not, he was making an effort to throw that ball, that fastball up and guys had trouble with it. Now I say that, but one guy took a pitch that was six inches above the strike zone and almost hit it out of the ballpark and ended up hitting off the top of the wall and bouncing back in for an RBI double. But that's not on Lynch. The guy did something crazy. uh, And you know, Kudos to him, I guess. Uh, and so, but yeah, I thought he looked pretty solid today. Had an inning where he really struggled, but was able to sort of rally and get out of that inning. And, you know, it didn't become a blow up and that's good. And so he's the one who really gave them a chance today and ultimately led to win. You see from the game today, you see what it means to have a starting pitcher who can just keep you in the game, right? Like if you can just keep a team in the game, you give them a chance to get past their other team starter to, to run into a pitcher who's not having their night, right? Like it's weird because we don't see that very often. We have too many starters who are given up five, six runs in the game and then you're, you know, okay, well, maybe we rally and score a ton who knows, but uh, it's a lot tougher when, uh, when, when the game is all out of hand in the third.
0: And especially going, he was going up against uh, Mackenzie Gore's not, you know, an all-star in the league right now, but he, he was very good today. I was really impressed with, with Mackenzie Gore. Uh, but, and Lynch is kind of going up against that. He kept his cool, even though the Royals weren't scoring or hitting anything and was able to go five. I was really worried in that fifth inning though, when he's putting up 91 mile an hour fastballs and the 88 mile an hour slider that you saw early in the game is now down to like 85. You're like, wait a second. Uh, luckily he was able to get out of it, but yeah, uh, I think, we call this an encouraging first step for Daniel Lynch, and hope that we see more as we go.
1: Yeah, a couple other uh, roster moves we won't get into too much. But Nate Eaton was optioned down to a and Josh Taylor was placed on the 15-day injured list with shoulder impingement. It is like it's catching, Mike. It is a contagious disease, <laughs> this shoulder impingement, because Brad Keller yeah. had it. Now Josh Taylor has it. Who knows who's going to have it next? You might want to just keep stay out of that locker room, Mike. Stay out of that locker. Room. Oh, ow! Yeah, uh, your uh, shoulder's uh, been impinged since 1998 okay uh uh, the record on the field last week was a was a pretty dismal two and four and it was actually almost one and five they came back and won uh, late today but that brings their royals overall record to 16 and 38 uh second worst record in major league baseball so bad thanks thanks oakland a's yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, they're on an 11-game losing streak, by the way. Uh, yes, they are. <laughs> so it was not a good week for the Royals. They dropped two of three to the Detroit Tigers and the Washington Nationals, two teams that are nothing special, honestly, two teams that are not probably going to make the playoffs, either one of them. Uh, but if you need a silver lining, they didn't lose any of those games by more than three. They were kind of in a lot of them. Uh, they got back a couple of guys like Drew Waters and Daniel Lynch, so that's good on the injury front. Maybe they'll, That'll hopefully give them a boost moving forward. Mike, what were your thoughts about last week as a whole?
0: There were some real positives in spots. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. looked real. I think a lot of his at bats just have looked better in this past week. Uh, And we really saw the even today, like like I said, today, today, McKenzie Gore was so good. You know, uh, Bobby Witt Jr. actually got up 3-0 against McKenzie Gore. And I think you even you mentioned it this morning on the on the Twitter spaces with Alex Duvall. If you didn't get a chance to catch that this week, make sure you guys catch those. Um, But. You said, sometimes you just have to tip your cap to a pitcher if the hitter gets up 2-0 or 3-0, and then they come back and throw three perfect pitches. That happened today in a Bobby Witt Jr. at-bat. He got up 3-0 against McKenzie Gore, and Gore just threw three really good pitches. And there's nothing you can do. It's okay to strike out that way, guys. We have to start realizing that. And actually, Garcia did it today, too. I think he ended up being up 2-0, and then Gore came back with three really, really good pitches. But watching those at-bats and seeing some of it pay off in that game where the Royals got down seven against the Nationals and Bobby Witt Jr. had two home runs and a double and a single. He went four for five with five RBI. Like that, Those kind of at-bats can lead to those kind of days. And so I want him to understand that. I want him to see that. I want this to just become who Bobby Witt Jr. is. Now, with that And the Lynch start was, was somewhat encouraging and waters coming back and has had a good game or two, but you lost two series, one to the Tigers and one to the nationals, at least the national, I mean, neither one of those teams are really even trying to win. If They were Miguel Cabrera wouldn't be on the team. And if they were, the nationals would have one player that I'd ever even heard of. And so, yeah, we did not beat either of those really bad teams. So it's still a bad week, but there are a couple of uh, bright lights in there.
1: Yeah, in my mind, they didn't look, if we're using the eye test, the Royals didn't look any worse than they normally do this week. Some things didn't end up breaking their way and they ended up losing two of four instead of three of three or what, or three, or they ended up losing four of six instead of three of six or something like that. But, you know, those things turn on like a random thing, right? You mentioned the Bobby Witt Jr. at bat today. I want to talk a little bit about just that at bat because you're right. Today was an interesting example for Bobby Witt Jr. because he had what I would say were like two really good plate appearances to start the day and then two bad ones to end the day. And we mentioned a couple episodes ago that the difference for Bobby Witt Jr. will be when he stops having one good plate appearance a game and starts having three or four good plate appearances a game, then those numbers will start to turn around. It's got to be a consistent thing. Right. It can't be like uh, oh, I'm sorry, I went up there and swung at every pitch for the first three at bats today. It can't be that, right? But that plate appearance he had where he got up 3-0 was super encouraging to me because the 3 1 pitch was a perfect or the he he ends up getting, I forget, I forget how he gets to 3 1, but he gets to 3 1 somehow. And he takes a fastball on the outside corner that is a perfect pitch from McKenzie Gore. Not one at all that Bobby Root Jr. should swing at because it's not in his, you know, prime hitting zone. And it's 3-1. He goes to 3-2 and he ends up striking out on a very good slider down. You know, and that's like whatever. Down and in. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. I am fine if you do that, Bobby Wood Jr. Because that was a good plate appearance. It's a strikeout, but you were patient. You got to 3-0. You you made it into 3-1 and then you took the pitch. You should have taken on 3-1. Good job. If he does more of that, eventually he'll get more pitches in his premium zone and he'll start crushing the ball. If we can see that, we'll start saying, okay, maybe he's turned it around a little bit. Speaking of guys who are turning it around or doing pretty well right now, Mike, who's your strong performer for the week? I'm going with Michael Garcia because I think this week
0: showed the Michael Garcia that we are all hoping can stay around. He was eight for 22. Three doubles in a week is pretty big for Michael Garcia. You know, we saw some higher exit velocities this week from him and leading to extra base hits, two walks as well which you would expect to see from him with his approach. Still a little high on the strikeouts with 8 strikeouts this week, but he also had two stolen bases. He had a 940 OPS this week and he always seems to come up big in those big situations and obviously will play you a solid defense at third or short if you need him to and can probably play second too as well. Um or can play second as well. So Michael Garcia looks like he's again lengthening this lineup and giving the chance to uh not only be a table setter with his uh, on-base ability but at times drive in runs.
1: Yeah, the the strikeouts do concern me just a bit and it seems like you can see that pitchers have a plan against him now, right? Which is when you're ahead in the count as a pitcher against him, you're throwing fastballs on the outside corner. He struggles to hit fastballs in the outside corner, which we all knew he would because if you watch his swing, he actually steps open quite significantly when he swings. Starts, uh, closed,
0: steps starts yeah.
1: closed, steps open. Starts closed, steps open. And it can be hard for him to reach that outside corner. If I were him, I would learn how to take that pitch and just foul it off. If you have to just throw your bat out there and foul it off, do it right. Protect that outside corner in such a way that they can't go out there on you or they can, but you're going to keep spoiling them until one leaks back over the heart of the zone and you can actually hit it somewhere. Right. But yes, you're right. He did have a good week this week. I hope as time goes on and he gets more used to major league pitching, those strikeout numbers will come down, but the on-base ability is definitely helping at the bottom of their lineup, and I'm really, really glad that they got him up, and I'm glad that he's having some early success. And The guy I chose for my strong performer was Daniel Lynch because I just wanted to talk about him. I wanted to get, he for his line in the start he had today, he went five and a thirds innings, he gave up two earned runs on five hits with three walks and six strikeouts. Obviously you want that walk number to be down more than that. Uh, if if he has to live more in the heart of the zone, I can, I can live with the guy giving up a home run here or there, or some hard hit balls here or there, as long as he's not giving up free passes, free passes are actually what kill you because it's those free passes followed by those hard hit balls that lead to runs. And so it was good to see him out there. A lot of swing and misses early in, in the game today. Those, those hitters had nothing to do with his changeup. The right-handers could not touch his changeup today. It was great to see. I hope he continues to try to advance that stuff of his to keep going with the game plan he's got, which is more sliders and changeups than fastballs. And, and I think you'll see that this is what he could be, a five-inning pitcher who gives you a good chance to stay in the ballgame all the time. If they If he can just do that, that's enough for him. Let's talk about some guys who can't do that. Or Mike, you tell us someone who can't do that right now. Uh, that is a pitcher that we signed for some not serious money, but a decent amount of money this offseason. Who's your weak performer this week, Mike? I, I had to go with Jordan Lyles because we haven't really talked about him as a weak
0: performer yet. And he's got an ERA north of seven. So <laughs> it's, you know, you got you to gotta talk about it at some point, right? Jordan Lyles this week had one start, five innings pitched. He gave up five earned runs. And the thing that's killing me, he gave up 3 walks to 2 strikeouts. He was a guy that came in as a guy that didn't really walk that many guys. So this year I had to go back and look, like you know, they talk about him as a guy that doesn't walk many guys, but I wanted to see the actual numbers. This year, he from just this is just based on last year. From last year, his walk rate is up 2%, almost 2%. His strikeout rate is down exactly 2%. And so he's now has a 4% difference uh, you know, plus and minus those two things. And, and if you go back historically, since he's been a consistent starter, he has not walked the, the, at the rate that he walked guys at the rate that he is this year. And so it's very disappointing, you know, and it always seems like it's a walk, a walk. And then like a three run home run, the guy just gives up big innings right now. Um, you know, he, I know he's got the decent breaking stuff, but everything else just is not working. The free passes and the fastball are getting, killed. And so I know, you know, we expect, you know, we knew Jordan or Jordan Lyles was a five ERA kind of guy, but you thought at least he'd give you a six, seven innings on a consistent basis. Now he's giving up so many runs. He's pitching to so many guys. He can't go six and seven. And so you need to see more from Jordan Lyles. Now, the one thing you can say about him is he's made every start, which at this point, that's something for this team because we don't have anybody.
1: Yeah, I was actually thinking about that earlier today. Like, you know what's funny about Jordan Lyles is he's been awful, and yet the Royals need him so badly right I know. now. If like, he goes
0: down, we're in because, we're in even worse oh, shape. We're they're in bad they're trouble. screwed.
1: They are so <laughs> screwed Uh because he you need somebody who can go out there and they're down. I guess with Lynch back, they have four starting pitchers now, right? Um, Which is okay, I guess. But who's to say another one doesn't go down at some point, right? Like, do they have and four? They, they Singer they have Lyles Singer Granky Lyles Lynch Granky. That's four. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they have four right now, technically, but you know, another one goes down they, they literally have they don't have any prospects for a fifth either. Like until Brad Keller comes back, they have no prospects for a fifth starter. They could bring Austin Cox up and just give it a shot, but he's, they know he's not going to do well in major league baseball. Probably, uh, as a starter, I think he could offer some, you know, bulk reliever type stuff or something, but as a starter, I just don't know that Austin Cox really has a future this year, you know, unless something changes, but So Jordan Lyles is at least going out there and throwing innings for them. I will say he was successful until that sixth inning in that start. They left him out there to be the innings eater that he is. and he Just got rocked in the sixth inning. And so, you know, it is what it is. Jordan Lyles has not been good. But, you know, that's why he's on the weak performer list. Uh, My weak performer this week is Jackie Bradley Jr. Oddly, I don't feel like we've ever talked about him as a weak performer, but he's been bad all year. And so, except, you know, (laughs) playing good defense for the most part. Uh, He did misread a ball today that cost them pretty, uh, or almost, I don't think it ended up costing them a run, but it almost did. Um, He went two for 15 this week with one home run. I think I was at the game he hit the home run at. Uh, Five strikeouts and no walks. It is painful watching Jackie Bradley Jr. try to hit. It is just hard. I can't do it. I can't make my eyes do it sometimes. And so uh, I know he's a great defender. I know, you know, I know he's probably, this is what he is and he's up there just to pretty much play defense until Kyla's bell comes back. But uh, yeah, he did not have a strong week this week. Hopefully they can start pulling back on giving him playing time since drew waters is now back, but we'll see on that one. Mike, it was a rough week, but uh, what sort of theme are you pulling out for, uh, for this week? Is it a positive one? It is not. My theme is a question. Are we the worst? No.
0: So like we do not have the worst record in baseball. The Oakland athletics do they, I realize that they are a team with a just terrible record and they are in the midst of a Royals esque losing streak right now. Um, and their fans have their fans who were somewhat passionate. Some of them are now giving up on the team because the team is likely moving to Vegas, but we got, we lost a series to them and we got swept, uh, by, them. We got swept by them and you know, depending on how schedules shake out, they may have played a harder schedule or something than we have that just like, we have the second worst record of baseball and the team who has a worse record than us swept us. And so, yeah.
1: but they still have a worse record than us. And that's how baseball works, right? Like you can I get it, you but can, you know, it's hard to watch record. this sometimes and think, and not think something other than we might be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> we might be the worst. <laughs> But what's funny is like, and this is kind of your theme kind of melds into mine, interestingly, because the Royals lose a lot of games, right? And what's interesting is like, when I watch those games, and I watch all of them, like, the margin for victory is so small in baseball, like, One thing turns the game, two tiny things turn the game, and then it's different. It's over. Like they've now lost. Like when I look back at this week in a bunch of games where they won by, where they lost by two or three or whatever, I'm like, man, the difference in those games is one tiny decision, one tiny play, one tiny thing. What's interesting to me is it's very, very hard to get a team from where the Royals are to making all of those tiny plays, right? So Atlanta, LA, Houston, they make those plays. Those plays are the things that they do. They're constantly focused in on the tiny things and they do them well. But getting the Royals from where they are up to there is so hard, and yet it's just a couple of things. And it's the difference between Losing a hundred games and winning a hundred games—it's so weird to me in baseball. But this week reminded me of that since they went ahead and lost a bunch of games by what is just a pretty decent inning, honestly.
0: Do you ever wonder if, like, some of those things are somewhat arbitrary? So all you can do is give yourself as many opportunities to get to that kind of place as possible. That's the difference—the Houston's and the LAs and the and the Atlantas—they just get because they have better pitching than everybody. And because they can hit the crap out of the ball, they just give themselves a million opportunities to have those little tiny plays. Maybe they are as good as everybody else at converting on those things, on those opportunities, but they just have more of them because they are better teams because they have better pitching and and better hitting. Um, What that's that's kind of what I, what I think it kind of boils down to a lot of times is, you know, if you're talking about two or three things that turn a, a game, maybe it's like a big home run. Well, they have more home run hitters, you know, maybe it's like, you know, the fact that their starters one through five, every single one gives them a chance where we have two that give us a chance. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, but I, I think that's the true in some sense. But what I'm thinking about is like, it's not that they have more home run hitters. It's that they have more guys who are going to take every single little thing seriously. Every single pitch matters to them. Every They're not, you know, doing the little thing. Those little things happen a thousand times a game, right? They happen with every single pitch, everyone that you choose to take or swing at, everyone that you choose to like, you know, Whatever. You know, what, when you choose what every pitch time to you choose
0: to overthrow a cutoff man to try and get him at home, when you have no chance well, of getting him at home, MJ, it's Milanes. not a,
1: it's not a choice, but you choose to make the throw, right? Like it's always those little things, what they have are dudes who like focus in intently on those little things. And they understand that those little things are the big things. And so look at a guy like Jordan Alvarez, how many pitches in, in a game does Jordan Alvarez swing at where you go, Oh boy, he shouldn't have swung at that one. How many times does Bobby Witt Jr. do it, right? Look at the difference there, right? Like, those are the little things. Jordan Alvarez wins 90% of his little things. Bobby Witt Jr. wins 40% of his little things. And that's the difference between the two teams, right? That's a 100-loss team versus a 100-win team right there. Royals Weekly is brought to you by Knapp Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? Um, designing dentures
0: for babies.
1: Is that something you're doing?
0: <laughs> hey, let's keep my business, my business. Okay. Those are, these are my million dollar ideas. All right.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, uh, securing your financial future is one of the most important steps someone can take for themselves and their family and Knapp Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. This isn't some big faceless corporation we're talking about here. Knapp Family Wealth is run by JC Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan, and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work until you're dead, education planning so your kids learn to read good, investment management so you get all that money out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out, because trust me, you don't. Check out Nap Family Wealth at knappfamilywealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P familywealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. During this week's spotlight segment, the weirdos take the wheel, baby. <laughs> Every time I think of this, I have an image in my mind of these people who follow us on Twitter and stuff just being like, ah! Uh, anyway, that's right. It's a mailbag episode. We've, we're going to answer your questions and, and address the things that you care about. We solicited questions on Twitter and Facebook. We got some in from YouTube as well. And you all did not disappoint with the quality of your questions. They are top notch. Uh, Probably couldn't get to all of them. I know I didn't get to all of them, but I tried to get to as many as I possibly could. Um, So please, if if your question doesn't get answered, please keep submitting. We promise we'll try our best to get to uh, as many as we can every time. Let's start with a question from one of our favorite weekly weirdos, Rupert. Rupert's been he's an OG he's been with us for a he's long an OG. time he's an OG original gangsta <laughs> weekly weirdo Rupert uh, he reached out in a comment on YouTube and asked does the team go with different offensive players Gentry Lofton uh, Peyton Wilson John Rave guys with patience to the plate if the current Royals are a hack fest every night so I think
0: that's going to be one of the great
1: indicators
0: of if this front office is different from the last front office, the last front office would stay with these guys hacking, looking at, you know, oh, well, what are their traditional numbers and all that sort of stuff? And they'd stick with them for a very long time, a la why Hunter Dozier was still on the team. Um, if this new regime, this new front office, truly appreciates guys that have more advanced approaches and is are really changing it up, then they won't stick with those guys nearly as long. What now? It's kind of weird because they're stuck with the guys that they have. They didn't get to choose these guys. They're the guys that are there. You know, they were the guys that were on the forty man when they adopted it. All that sort of stuff. And so you're kind of looking for that. But if you start to see guys like a Gentry, a Lofton, John Raves the same way, um, you then you'll if you start to see them coming up and those other guys either going down or getting released or not getting as much playing time, then you'll know that this front office is different than the last one.
1: Yeah. And the weird thing is it's like, it's really, I think you will start to see those other guys. I think this is why having depth is so important. It's because when a guy doesn't work out, you have another guy behind him, right? So one of the reasons a lot of Royals commentariat of the Royal, I'm going to make that. Yeah. A lot of the Royals commentariat isn't as worried about the offense as they are. The pitching is because there are guys in the minor leagues ready to take the places of underperforming players at the major league level. Gentry, you may, you, Rupert mentions a lot of them, Gentry, Lofton, Wilson, Rave, Logan Porter, uh, You know, other guys. There are, there are hitters coming up who will have the potential to take spots from underperforming major league players. The Royals created this hitting pipeline by hiring Drew Saylor and Alex Sumwalt and all those guys back in 2019. They're hoping that the pitching development as it's changed this year will provide the exact same thing for the pitching that if guys are underperforming at the major league level, they can turn to guys at triple a and double a and that sort of thing right now, that depth is not there for the pitching, but it is there for the hitting. And so if guys like, you know, I hate to say Bobby Witt jr, but <laughs> it may be Bobby Witt jr. Um, but MJ some others Melendez. Too, right? like Edward Olivares is not yeah. really MJ Melendez. If, if guys like this aren't performing, Maybe they're not too long for the major league roster. You know, maybe they get uh, a little switcheroo with a uh, Nick Lofton or with a Tyler Gentry or something like that. Thank you, Rupert, for that question. Really appreciate it. Uh, another question. Next question comes in from Eli Nitz on Twitter. Uh, he wants to know who, who do we think the next position player called up making their ML MLB debut will be? Well,
0: Eli Mark stole my guy. Um, and so I'll have to go with my number two choice here. Uh, I'm going with Logan Porter. Uh, and more, this is more uh, with my heart because I want to see Logan Porter. That's why we uh, we watched a lot of spring training this year uh, in person and on on. Well, didn't watch a whole lot of it on TV, but listened to it and things like that. Um, and I loved what I saw from Logan Porter down there. He, yes, he's a catcher, but he's also he also plays some first. Um, you could DH, you know, I'm just interested to see He's like a 27 or 28 years old. He needs an opportunity in Major League Baseball. And I would like to see how he handles. Uh, The pitching in Major League Baseball, honestly. Now that's more with my heart. Okay, my head says somebody else, but you're going to talk about that guy. The one thing I will talk the dark horse kind of. Here's my dark horse guy, uh, Dyron Blanco, because of his ability to play outfield, and he's an older prospect as well. But I only see that happening if there's like another Waters injury or Isbel is injured for longer, and they just don't want to keep putting Jackie Bradley Jr. out of out there uh, to hit. I could see Blanco getting the the call up as well. The big problem with Porter and Blanco, neither one of them are on the forty man, and so you know you would have to do something to get them on the forty man, or I guess the somebody would have to go on the IL or something like that.
1: One thing that might make room for them or a Samad Taylor, where I'm going to talk about, is when Nikki Lopez might get traded. Uh, during this season, he's a 40 man spot. You might see something like that happen. Um, or if, you know, somebody else in the position player pool gets traded, obviously at some point, Jackie Bradley Jr. will get cut. Um, just depends. Uh, actually, I really like your dark horse pick. I think Dyrón. if you ask me who deserves to be the next guy called up, I would say Dyrón Um Now he's not on the 40 man and that complicates things, but uh, he has played so well in AAA, so well. The guy I'm going to talk about, Samad Taylor, has also played very well. He has a leg up in part because he has some position versatility. He is on the 40 man. He's not a high walk rate guy, but he does not strike out that much either. And so, you know, well, when I say that, okay, he's—I think he's striking out at like 15%, but also walking at like—I'm going to have to check this now because I'm going to—I'm going to get mad at myself for getting these numbers wrong. Uh, Samad Taylor. I was a little worried about his swing and miss but right now he's only striking out at 19.6% but he's walking at 13.4%. He's got a 3 points or a, a 364 uh batting average on balls in play but really he's doing quite well and we saw him a lot in spring training too a real spark plug a real guy who's going to you know, create a lot of chaos on the bases Use his athleticism. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for Samad Taylor to come up right now, honestly. Um, and so we'll see on him, but if I had to guess, I'd say he's my, he's the next guy up mostly because he's on the 40 man roster already. And that makes it easier for him to get up there. Uh, our next question comes in from somebody calling themselves that guy. Uh, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to tell him not to be that guy, but you know, uh, that guy on YouTube <laughs> left a comment with a really good question in it. And I told him, I'm going to save this for the mailbag. Uh, should the Royals look to ship Nick Prado? His improvement, I think, shows his potential. And with Vinny on the team, he seems like an odd man out. Mike, do you think the Royals should ship Nick Prado? Well, so the,
0: the idea behind trading, guys, is you want to trade from a position of strength, somewhere where you have depth at a position. And the Royals certainly do at first base DH type guys. The problem is... I like what Nick Lofton has brought. And I think you mean Nick Prado, it's going to be one of the, sorry, Nick Prado yeah, not I Um, It kind of depends on what you can get back. And this is one of those situations that often occurs where I think Nick Prado right now anyway, is more valuable to the Royals than he would be for another organization. If that makes sense, the Royals are lacking in guys that have really good approaches that that can, I mean, he's hitting lead off for them. And he's doing better than anybody else has that said a lead off this year. And so, yeah, I, I I don't think it's a situation where you would do that, but I would, I would certainly be listening. Yes.
1: I'm going to throw out a controversial take. Yes. I think they should trade Nick Lofton if they can get a good value for him. Or Nick Nick Prado. We keep wanting to put Nick Lofton on this 40 man um, or on this uh, 26 man, uh, no, <laughs> Nick Prado. Yes. They should trade Nick Prado if they can get value for him. Here's why. Mike just mentioned all the, the sound arguments. Get him, trade from a position of strength, la, 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 the, the Royals are so pitching deficient right now that they should be thinking about trading position any position player for better pitching, right? And, and the thing that really tips the scales for me towards trading him is, well, there are two things. One, they have a hitting pipeline. And so they have guys like Logan Porter and Tyler Gentry and, and other guys, Nick Lofton and, and other guys in the hitting pipeline to help bolster that lineup. Okay. The second thing is pitching is more important than hitting. Okay. It is, uh, it is. like pitching is the thing that keeps teams in oh, yeah. games. It is more important. They should be doing anything they can to get better pitching into this organization at the AAA and A AA and even major league level right? So if they could trade Nick Prado for a guy in an, in another organization, a pitching rich organization who is two or three guys even who are upper level of the minors or maybe major league ready, I think they should be looking to trade him if they can get something worth it on the pitching end for him. Next question comes from a guy named Brian Utt on Twitter. He asks, what's your take on Q's handling of the team? That's Matt Quatrero. And the new pitching coaches, are you satisfied with their handling of the team? Mike, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah. So first I think you have to provide context. Think about what they were handed. Okay. So start from that point of view. You can't just go like, Hey, well, they're not, you know, their pitching isn't as good as the Braves, So they're screwing up. No, think about what they were handed. And I think when you think about it in that context context, yes, I am mostly happy with what they have done. Now, Does Quattrero use a bullpen the exact way that I would No, you know, have, but you can tell, like, all you had to do was see what Chris Bubich was before he got hurt to understand that things are being done differently. All you have to do is look into minor league baseball to see the turnaround of a lot of these pitching prospects to see that things are being done differently. See how much rest Salvador Perez is getting to see that things are, are being done differently. And so, you know, I really am. I have been happy with what Quattrero and the pitching development has done overall. It's not perfect. It's not exactly what I would do, but I think given what they were handed, they've done. They've shown some signs of things that can be positive. Now, it's still not good outcomes. Okay. And we talk about this all the time on this podcast. It's still not good outcomes, but I do like the process a little bit better.
1: Yeah. And I just think to myself, like, imagine if Chris Bubich hadn't been hurt, Daniel Lynch hadn't been hurt, and Brady Singer had stayed what he was last year. Do we think well, we'd be lauding the the coaching staff right now? Because obviously the Royals would have played a lot better, right? Those guys got hurt. A lot of that's outside the control of this pitching coaching staff and everything. They can't. They can't go back in time and make Dayton more, put more pitching depth in A and A of this, of this system, right? There's a lot they can't do. And so, yes, I'm very, I'm very happy with the coaching staff so far, mostly because we're seeing that the processes have changed and they've changed to something that I believe in. I believe in the notion of like having pitchers try and improve their stuff all the time. I believe in the notion of having pitchers try and throw more pitches. I believe in the notion of having guys with weak fastballs not be dominant fastball pitchers. It sounds simple, but the Royals didn't believe in these things a year ago, right? Do you think guys with weak fastballs should sow their fastballs more than 50% of the time? The last regime did. This regime does not. I'm with this one, right? Like, I think that's the right approach, right? And hopefully we see some more outcome success I don't know that we can count on it this year because the talent just is not there on the pitching side. The depth is not there on the pitching side. That's fine. We will have to start we will have to start pegging. Like, when do we want to start saying, like, no, this coaching staff, they need to be measured in terms of wins and losses. I think we're at the very least a year away from that. Maybe we look at midseason next year where we start saying, okay. If they can start winning, you're thinking, Mike thinks we're two. well, do you think we're like start at of at least two, do you, does that mean, do you mean two calendar years? Like this time, 2025, we can start measuring by outcomes. Or do you think at the start of 2025, we measure? I'm, by
0: I'm saying, I'm saying this time in 2025, I would say post all-star break 2025, cause that gives them yet another, sorry, post trade deadline really. Cause that gives us another, um, another trade deadline to another opportunity for those trades because the lack of pitching talent is it's, and I mean, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's just really, really, really bad. So they, and you have to have time to build those things up, you know? And I know you you made some great points about, you know, really in a starting rotation, you change one or two guys, you can change the whole thing, but and that's completely true but Zach Granke's not going to be around in two years. Not likely anyway, you know, so you're going to lose that part too. That's already gone. Brad Keller's likely to be gone. Um, you may only have Brady Singer in two years or, you know, you hope Daniel Lynch takes a step forward, but we haven't seen enough from that. So yeah, I, it's so bad. I I'm giving them after the uh, trade deadline in 2025, that second half should be, they should be winning games and, and have a good idea of what the future of their rotation is going to look like.
1: Very, uh, lenient from you. I like it. All right. We'll see. Um, our next question comes from chance Winchester on Twitter. Do you guys think that now is the time that we should worry about Brady singer? He has been inconsistent. So inconsistent this season, Mike, what are your thoughts on that time to worry about Brady singer? No. Yeah. and,
0: And, and, not necessarily because of the inconsistency. I, what's more concerning to me is he seems so hesitant to make adjustments when, when your coaching staff for not months, not half a year for two full years has been telling you, you need to throw the change up more and he does not do it. That is a problem to me. Okay. Especially when we're, they're saying you got to throw the change up more because when you only have a slider and a, a two seam fastball and now his fastball velocity is down, what is he going to lean on? You know, what can he, you know, you know, hopefully throw that slider 800, you're going to be Scott Barlow, try and throw it for strikes a million times. He can't locate it like Barlow can. And so, yeah, it's not, I, yes, I am worried, but more about the fact that he doesn't seem to be as coachable as you would want him to be.
1: Yeah. That's a concern for me as well. I think every story we hear about him related to this, you hear about like how he doesn't want additional information. That's like, that's like a theme of the stories told about Brady Singer. singers. Like, ah, oh, he doesn't really pay attention to this or that. The numbers is like, that concerns me. Like I want him paying attention to the numbers. <laughs> I want him like trying to make his stuff better all the time. Right. And they mentioned, oh, he tried a new slider grip and that's cool. I want, I want him to do stuff like that. But yes, it, if, if you're asking like, is it time to worry about Brady singer? The answer is of course, yes. Um, and I think, part of it is command and, and David Lesky had a great post the other day that talked about something he saw in, in uh singer's mechanics. That might be a timing issue with his command. And I think, you know, if you make some adjustments, he could get back to that, but the velocity thing that's already concerning, right? Like, and maybe a mechanical tweak helps fix that a little bit, but you know, if his fastball isn't 93 to 95, if it's 91 to 93, can Brady Singer have success as a major league starter? I don't know right? I don't know that he can, especially if he's only throwing it and the slider, right? And so I'd love to see him use the changeup more. I'd like to see him tweak his uh, mechanics to get back to his uh, top-notch command. But right now, it is time to be concerned about what he is. Now, of course, the Royals are a bad team no matter what, and so whether he's good or not good, the uh, overhaul needs to come for the pitching staff. We'll just wait and see whether he's a part of the next one or if they move on in some way.
0: You know what would be super interesting? (laughs) And and only teams that like are really transactional do this kind of stuff would be like trading Brady Singer this year.
1: You can't do that
0: because you can't because, because you don't have anybody else to throw innings. in the starting. You also can't do that because
1: you're trading him at his lowest point. It makes no sense to trade guys when they're at their worst, right? Like, but here's the, I understand what you're saying there, but, but if
0: this team doesn't believe in a Brady Singer and there is a team out there who is willing to at least give something so that you can, um, that cause they think they can fix those problems that he has, you know, you'll listen, but that would be very interesting because those great organizations, they don't just keep Brady singers around for six years doing what he's been doing because he had half of a season of success.
1: They don't. That is true. Uh, we're going to end, uh, our this segment cause we're going a little bit long with a little rapid fire. We had one <laughs> question asker who took it upon himself actually we had quite a few question askers who took it upon themselves to go ahead and ask like five questions and it's like okay well you know i guess but he asked five questions that i think we can answer pretty quickly and so we're going to do a rapid fire to end our our mailbag session thank you so much to the weekly weirdos for so many amazing questions this rapid fire comes from derek lynn on twitter uh we're going to try and answer these as fast as possible mike what's what's your most positive thing you've seen so far this year
0: the improvement in minor league pitching development.
1: All right, I'm going to go with my number two thing because I have the same answer. Mine's the improvement of Nick Prado. What's the most negative thing you've seen so far this year? The extreme lack of pitching depth in the whole organization. I'm going to say the lack of progression from MJ and Bobby Witt Jr. Who on the team would you trade today if you had a magic wand? Chapman, just because I'm worried about him getting hurt. Also Chapman, <laughs> but I'm going to throw in Scott Barlow okay. too.
0: Who was your favorite Royal from the early 2000s? This is honestly the question that took me the longest to kind of think about. I'm going with Zach Greinke because watching his stuff was appointment television. It's rapid fire. Stop. But my backup is David DeJesus. Sorry. David DeJesus. No, after it. Zach
1: Grinky. Rapid. You don't even know what rapid is. You're the slowest man on earth. <laughs> Jermaine Die. Bonus fun question. Who wins in a fight? Our mom or 1,000 grizzly bears?
0: I'm telling you, those bears better bring some weapons and an army with them if they want any sort of chance against our mother.
1: I'll say it's going to be grizzly when mom starts ripping throats. It's a weird week for the Royals this week. If the schedule, if the schedule online is is to be believed, <laughs> they'll play two a two game series against cross state rivals St. Louis Cardinals. That's in St. Louis. Then they'll get two days off in a row, which I don't ever see, except for the All Star break. Before a three game set back here at home against the Colorado Rockies. Mike, tell us about the team with the greatest fans in baseball. They'll tell you the greatest fans in baseball and the, and the best pizza and the best barbecue in St. Louis. I'll tell you, uh, tell us about the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh,
0: they are 24 and 31.
1: Their pizza is ketchup on a cracker. <laughs> you are it's so ketchup right. on a cracker. You are
0: so right on that. Um, but the, the first game, we don't have a probable yet. Cause who knows what the Royal starting rotation is anymore. It's more of a, conceptual. Oh wait,
1: no, they announced it before we got oh, it. Did they? They're going to, they're going to go with Josh Stalmont. Yeah. they're gonna oh, yeah, go with yeah. Josh Stalmont as an uh, opener followed by Mike Myers. I gotcha. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I think I read that tweet as well. Um, so it looks like Stalmont versus and Mike Myers versus ageless Adam Wainwright. And he's not actually just, he's 41 years old and uh, a 6.33 ERA with a 1.59 whip. Okay. I love that you put, he's a sinker. A curveball cutter guy, and for his sinker, Mark just wrote basically rolling them up there. They're going so slow, <laughs> he's just rolling them up there. Uh, been known for his curveball for a long time, has a great curveball, uh, but the sinker is getting uh, hit very well this year. So hopefully, we can hit that sinker. Game two will give us Zach Granke versus Miles Mikolas, a 34-year-old righty out of Nova Southeastern. Never heard of that one. 4.23 ERA, 1.39 WHIP. He's a sinker. Uh, pitcher as well. 92 to 93 with the sinker. He does throw a four seam fastball as well. A slider and a curve ball, uh, kind of switched from the four seamer to the sinker more this year. The Cardinals are getting strong offensive years out of Paul Goldschmidt, uh, Paul, DeYoung, young, Paul, DeJong, Paul, de Jong, and Nolan Gorman, super prospect, Nolan Gorman. Um, and so, yeah, that'll be the Cardinals series. Hopefully we can take both games and rub it right in their face. Just like that awful pizza and crappy barbecue.
1: Oh, it's gross. It's so gross. People forget <laughs> Gorman could have been a Royal, right? Do you know who they took? Yeah. In, do you remember who they mm-hmm. took instead?
0: Oh, that was the year that was the, with that the Brady Singer year?
1: Yes. Brady Singer. They took Brady Singer instead okay, of yeah. Nolan yeah. Gorman. Yeah. And we'll see how that's going to work out. Uh, after the. Two games in St. Louis, they get a couple of days to relax, I guess. Uh, just hang out, maybe go to Oceans of Fun or something. I'm not really sure. Uh, and then they'll be here against the Colorado Rockies, who are 24 and 30 on the year. They only have two guys above league average in terms of OBS, OPS+. Plus. So not doing great uh, offensively, which you typically associate with with Rockies baseball, they're very easy park to hit in. Uh, but Elias D- Diaz and Charlie Blackman both have pretty good offensive seasons going for the for the Rockies. On the pitching side, it is brutal as it normally is uh, for pitchers in in Coors Field. Kyle Freeland is the only starter with an ERA under four point nine zero. He's having excuse me, he's having a good year. They have a couple injured starters as well. So like the Royals, they're trying to patch together a rotation for right now. But we'll see if the Royals have a chance to take some games from them when they come to Kansas City. Well, in this week's episode, like we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Michael James Mead. Sorry I said your full name again because it creeps you out. Tell us a little bit about your you just throw
0: mom's maiden name out there too.
1: Huh? <laughs> uh, it's for all of it. All you need to know, um, <laughs> by the way, uh, tell us about what you've been up to for the last week. Uh, well, so by my, my just a bit outside this week is more of a
0: concept and it's the, I'm too old for this shit stuff. So like i very got my, I'm too old for this shit realization moment uh, on Friday. Cause you and I went golfing on Friday and when we got back, I asked you to move a ladder. I have this big, heavy ladder and I needed to put it up on my deck. And so I asked him to help me carry it up to the deck because it's super heavy. I didn't want to do it by myself. And then he left. Well, I was going up there to get on my roof to kind of inspect some stuff on my roof. And that's when I very much realized that I am too old to be getting on my roof anymore. Because I got up there and I was like, well, I'm definitely falling off this motherfucker. I mean, I'm gone. I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> falling off this thing. I'm going to die. Okay. Okay. And so I told my wife, I'm like, hey, the thing you want me to do, I can't do up here, not physically and stay on the roof at the same time. And so uh, Tuesday I'll be calling some roofing people (laughs) because I'm just too old for it. I can't do it. So, Hey
1: man, that's a young man's game. Let's not be a hero up there. You're not, you got a kid You and I used to get
0: up on the roof on our old house all the time. When I was a kid, I'd get up there for
1: funsies, you know, like I'm not, it's a, it's a life or death situation now. I'm not doing that. You know, like I'm not bendy anymore. If I fall, I'm that's it. That's Mm -hmm. the end of me. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't get on the roof anymore. My, My partner is nine years younger than me and she, to her, she's like, yeah, let's get on the roof. No big deal. I'm like, no, it's a big deal. Okay. That's a big deal. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm talking about a TV show that I started watching that is hilarious. Uh, have, Mike, have you ever seen um, I Think You Should Leave? Um, I don't think so. Okay. So this show is not, I think you should leave, but it's by the same guy who does. I think you should leave and his comedy partner, basically, who's also in, I think you should leave. This show is called Detroiters. It stars Tim Robinson and Zach or Tim Robinson and Sam Richardson, I think is his last name. Um, and it's about these two guys who are like best friends and the two actors are like best friends in real life too. Uh, and they run like a, an ad agency in Detroit and they make like, crappy local commercials is the whole thing, right? Like, and it just, it's, it's, if you like Tim Robinson's humor, it's basically like, uh, I think you should leave, but it's not sketches, but you can kind of see these like little set piece sketches. Kind of, it, it was, it was, it was produced a couple years ago, a few years ago before I think you should leave started. It only got two seasons on comedy central, but you can like see the outlines of what would become. I think you should leave. Later, and it's just really, really funny. It's kind of insane and cringy at times, but it's it's totally their humor. If you've ever seen that other show, which is much more popular than I think Detroiters was, but also produced by Jason Sudeikis, and he's in a couple episodes as well. Um, And so, if you ever if you get a chance and you want to you want to do some laughing to stop the crying of watching Royals baseball, watch some Detroiters. It's on, I think, Paramount Plus, oddly, but. Give it a shot. I promise Uh, it will not disappoint. You know who might disappoint the Royals? And I'm just gonna be frank about that. Um, (laughs) but, (laughs) but we will be back here next week. Not disappointing you talking about the Royals until then be good to each other
0: and go Royals.